In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for he is our Lord, God. And when we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We thank you for this day that we can come before you and um, lift up our voices, check our hearts, Lord, as this is communion uh, today, and uh, we just want to honor you, and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our devotional from Billy Graham's Hope for Each Day, uh, today is one that touched my heart. God's plans are best. As for God, his way is perfect. And that's from Psalm 18, verse 30. Things did always work out the way Paul planned. Expecting to preach in Asia Minor, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Looking forward to instructing the new converts in Philippi, Paul and his companions found themselves thrown into prison. Um, Encouraged by the response to the gospel in Thessalonica, he was suddenly assailed by a mob and accused of having turned the world upside down. As a result, he was forced to flee. But in every instance, God was in control. Paul was forbidden to preach in, in Asia Minor because God was opening the door to Europe. 
Paul found himself in jail, and as a result, the Philippian jailer and his family were converted. Paul had to flee Thessalonica, and Berea, the next town, received the word with all readiness. Things don't always work out the way we plan, but if we commit our way to Christ and walk in obedience to him, we discover his plans are always better. And the hope for today, we may never know what would happen if, in a certain situation, we got our way. We can know that his way is perfect and ours is not. And we can rest in that, not my will, but thine. If you'd like to stand and join us. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom all be glory forever. Amen. Amen. stand amazed in his presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous
helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Watch for God's answers and remember to be thankful when they come. Don't forget to pray for us too, this is Paul speaking, that God will give us many chances to preach the good news of Christ for which I am here in jail. Pray that I will be bold enough to tell it freely and fully and make it plain as of course I should. And I pray that for all of us. Make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Be wise in all your contacts with them. Let your conversation be gracious as well as sensible, for then you will have the right answer for everyone. Praise God for that. That's great encouragement. Join me in prayer if you would. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day with grateful hearts. We thank you and praise you for your love and mercy that never fail us. As we gather, we ask that you bless those persons who are on our prayer page and for unspoken requests. We lift up those people and their individual situations to you. May your will be done in each of their lives. We just thank you, Father God, for all that you are doing. We ask for your guidance, your strength, and healing. We give you thanks and praise again for what you are doing. It is amazing, Father God. Each and every day you are answering prayers. You're comforting us. You're guiding us. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. Good morning. Have you ever been to the beach? or by a big waterfall and heard the noise that water makes. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. 
Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O oh Lord, forever. If you would like to stand once more, we'll see the Lord. Recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God, so that things which are not seen were not made of things which are visible. If you'd like to stand and join us. In the power of the Spirit 
reading today comes again from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21 verses 23 through 32 when Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching the leading priests and elders came up to him they demanded by what authority are you doing all these things who gave you the right I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question Jesus replied did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believed John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? And they replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, 
but you didn't believe him. Well, tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of the universe, you set, you created everything, you set it all in motion. And oftentimes we think we understand it. But all that you do, all that you are, they are so much more than we can comprehend. But we, we could understand some parts, the love, the giving that you have done, and the, the, that you call us to give back. You allow us to share whatever, whatever we have because it really belongs to you. So we ask that the gifts we give today, that they be pleasing in your sight and that you guide us to use them in a way that would also be pleasing to you and that would share your son with the rest, with you and your son with the world as we can. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. But truth be told, the truth is rarely told. I say I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine. There's a sign on the door Says come as you are But I doubt it Cause if we live like that was true Every Sunday morning pew would be crowded But didn't you say church Should look more like a hospital A safe place for the sick The sinner and the scarred And the prodigals like me Truth be told, the truth is rarely told. Oh, am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken, and when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not. And you know. Truth be told. 
Good morning. There's a sign on the door that says, come as you are, but I doubt it. Because if we lived like that was true, every Sunday morning pew would be crowded. But didn't you say church should look more like a hospital? A safe place for the sick, the sinner, the scarred, and the prodigals like Let us pray. Father God, we are all prodigals. We have all been decadent sinners. And therefore, we know that sin is not life. You are life. Your paths are always righteous and good. We know this very well. and Therefore, we ask that you break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us your heart for the lost, a deep hunger to reach those your son died for, to lead them to you, to show them the way to your heart, to your kindness and everlasting love. Speak to us this day the deep truths of your word through your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. My sermon this morning, we're continuing in the Children of God series. This is part seven. What should the body of Christ look like? Text this morning will be 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Peter chapters 1 and 2. Our road sign outside says, everyone welcome. What's that mean? Everyone welcome should mean you can bring your sins with you. But we will expect you to lay those sins at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And God helping you leave them there. Everyone welcome doesn't mean we will condone your sin. Or help you conjure up excuses as to why you shouldn't have to take up your cross and follow Jesus daily. Everyone welcomed to me personally 
means I won't be happy until we have a bus that makes a circuit to all the uh, local rest homes and collects the invalid seniors who want to be in church but can't be there because they don't have transportation. And I want another bus for the homeless. And in fact, I won't be happy until at least the first two rows of this church are filled with drug addicts, prostitutes, gays, lesbians, children in foster care, and at-risk teenagers. Church is a hospital. Jesus reached out to everyone and to those who received him. He gave the right and the power to become the children of the Most High God. Slide one, please. One of the first things I learned in seminary was this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a balance scale. They told us if you preach the love of God, you must also preach the wrath of God in equal measure. If you preach the love of God, you must also preach God's judgment and wrath against sin. The churches who appeal to those who are unwilling to leave their sin only preach the love of God. They represent God as a big marshmallow, a cream puff, who will always forgive and never judge your sin. God knows you're human, they say. As if also to say, just keep on sinning. The truth of God's love has an edgy side. A very edgy side. Jesus loves everyone. This is true. He will accept you as you are. This is true. If you will repent and follow his commandments. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes people. A gospel that does not change you is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not willing to change, you'll never know the love of God. You'll never know the grace of his forgiveness. As followers of Jesus, we cannot condone sin. Neither our own or that of others. Why? Because God does not condone sin. Jesus loves the lost, and therefore we also must love the lost. But first, we must let, we must let Jesus teach us how to love ourselves. Then we can do a respectable job of loving others. But we cannot condone, dismiss, or ignore sin, either in ourselves or others. Slide two, please. From 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 from the NLT. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. 
Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, you should live holy and godly lives, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, as he promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Slide three, please. Second Peter 1, verses 2 through 11 and 19 from the Living Bible. Do you want more and more of God's kindness and peace? Then learn to know him better and better. For as you know him better, he will give you through his great power everything you need for living a truly holy life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings he promised. For instance, the promise to save us from the lust and rottenness all around us and to give us his own character. But to obtain these gifts, you need more than faith. You must also work hard to be good, and even that is not enough. Slide four, please. For then you must learn to know God better and discover what he wants you to do. Next, learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. The more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyone who fails to go after these additions to faith is blind indeed, or at least very short-sighted and has forgotten that God delivered him from the old life of sin so that now he can live a strong, good life for the Lord. Slide five. So dear brothers, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. And then you will never stumble or fall away. And God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. So we have seen and proved that what the prophet said came true. You will do well to pay close attention to everything they have written. For, like lights shining into dark corners, their words help us understand many things that are otherwise would be dark and difficult. Last week I told you there is what I perceive to be a crossroads which the Cumberland Presbyterian Church is approaching. 
And that intersection, in my opinion, is the crossroads of apostasy. And specifically, that crossroads is not just apostasy, but the heresy of allowing LGBTQ bishops, pastors, and elders to enter into the leadership of the Cumberland Church. And before I go any further, I'd like to remind you that we lost a very dedicated couple at this church, Rick and Dolores Hill, this past year over this exact issue. Rick told me, Pastor, please don't view our leaving as anything personal. We have nothing against you, but where there's smoke, there's fire. He had read an article in the Cumberland Magazine. It was an op-ed, and I realized the Cumberland Magazine has an obligation, perhaps, to list opposing viewpoints, opposed to what is mainstream in the Cumberland Church. But after reading this article, which was very pro-gay, Rick said, I believe the Cumberlands will eventually cave to the woke LGBTQ agenda, and that's why we're leaving. Slide six, please. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3 in the message. But there were also lying prophets among the people then, speaking of the Old Testament prophets and of Israel, just as there will be lying religious teachers among you. They'll smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They put themselves on a fast downhill slide to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed-up followers who can't tell right from wrong. They give the way of truth a bad name. They're only out for themselves. They'll say anything, anything that sounds good to exploit you. There are several such persons among the Cumberlands, lying religious teachers. One of them is a retired Cumberland minister by the name of George Estes. I'm going to read excerpts from his letter. There are copies of that letter back there on the table. You can read it for yourself. His is a dissenting opinion, and I'd like to point out he's just one man with one opinion. But there seem to be several who share his opinions. He is dissenting against proposed amendments that will be voted on next year. I'd like to read a portion of the Constitution which he is opposing. In the Confession of Faith, Topic 6.17, marriage is between a man and a woman for the mutual benefit of each, their children, and society. It is primarily a covenant relationship under God. As such, it symbolizes the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church and is that human relationship in which love and trust are best known. 
The First Amendment is entitled 2.92. When a person is in a sexual relationship that is outside the boundaries of marriage as described in the Confession of Faith 617, then such a situation makes that person ineligible to be ordained to the office of elder. Next, when a person is in a sexual relationship that is outside the boundaries of marriage as described in the Confession of Faith 617, then such a situation makes that person ineligible to serve as a pastor of the church. The next amendment is 6.35. No licentiate shall be ordained who is in a sexual relationship that is outside the boundaries of marriage as described in the Confession of Faith 617. Such a situation makes that person ineligible to be ordained as a minister in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Next, 7.02. When a person is in a sexual relationship that is outside the boundaries of marriage as described in 617, then such a situation makes that person ineligible to serve a church in any of the relationships stated in 7.01. In short, you cannot be in the leadership of a church. Now to read some excerpts from uh, the honorably retired George R. Estes. He starts out, In a church fight, the first casualty is the gospel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The gospel is never a casualty to anyone or anything. The gospel is the word of God. And God says of his word, my God, my word like the rain, I send it to the earth and it waters the earth and the earth is fruitful and it will not return to me until it has accomplished all that I intended. The gospel is never a casualty to anyone or anything. He goes on, half-truths and exaggerations mark the tense dialogue that often accompanies such disputes. When sharp differences of opinion arise in the church, it is incumbent upon us to reassess our commitment to the way of Christ and make our way through the difficulties. The way of Christ is very clear. We do not condone sin. Some self-styled Orthodox Cumberland Presbyterians, that would be you and me, I'll answer to the title of Orthodox, have sought to disengage from those of us who perceive to be progressive Cumberland Presbyterians. Progressive always means liberal. And liberal always means we jade the truth. The actions and attitudes of those fostering this amendment have been demonstrably schismatic. When preaching the truth is schismatic, heaven help us. The whosoever will gospel we have treasured is in jeopardy in this debate. The purity of the church is at stake in the minds of some. 
let it be said that the purity of the church does not reside in right doctrine or scriptural certitude. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Scriptural certitude. Sola Scriptura is the banner that Martin Luther waved through the entire Reformation. Scriptural certitude is the truth of Scripture. So this is a lie from the pit of hell. The addition of sexual practices is a precedent not seen before in the church and opens the door to future corrections and refinements. If these proposals are not accepted, then certainly the door to corrections and refinements will be open to LGBTQ. Like some who may read this communication, I have members of my family and friends who are part of the LGBTQ community. While I do not claim to fully understand this, I realize that I do not completely understand heterosexual life either. Really, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation fully explains heterosexual relationships. Just as there are many, <clears throat> excuse me, life-affirming aspects to traditional marital living, the same is evidently true of those in lasting same-sex relationships, horse feathers. As a pastor, I have worshipped and served with church members of the LGBTQ community and their families, and no doubt there have been elders and ministers in my experience who were. Well, how very undiscerning of you, Reverend George. What you've done, Pastor George, is to condone sin. These comments are intended to be part of our deliberation on the proposed amendment. My hope and prayer is that our Presbytery and others will deny the passage of this amendment. Obviously, the Honorable George Estes is pro-LGBTQ. So what did the Apostle Paul have to say about such things? Slide 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 2 in the message. <clears throat> Excuse me. I also received a report of scandalous sex within your church family, a kind that would not be tolerated even outside the church. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother, and you're so above it all that it doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? Let's paraphrase that passage. I also received a report of scandalous sex within your church family. One of your women is sleeping with another woman. And you have an elder who is cheating on his wife. This elder has had numerous illicit affairs. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't these people and their conduct be confronted and dealt with? Riddle me this, 
What's the difference between incest, adultery, and homosexuality? There is none. In God's eyes, each is an egregious sin. God regards sexual sin as a greater sin. And you ask, where in Scripture does it say that? Sodom and Gomorrah were expressly destroyed because of sodomy, homosexuality. Noah's flood was about the manifold sin of mankind, including sodomy. Slide 8, please. Romans 1, 26-28, the Living Bible. So God let them go ahead into every sort of sex sin and do whatever they wanted to. Yes, vile and sinful things with each other's bodies. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. That is why God let them go and let them do all these evil things, so that even their women turned against God's natural plan for them and indulged in sex sin with each other. And the men with each other, men doing shameful things with other men, as a result, getting paid within their own souls with the penalty of sin they so richly deserved. So it was when they gave God up and would not even acknowledge Him, God gave them up to do everything their evil minds could think of. So why does God's wrath burn hot against sexual sin? 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united in one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is of one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Sexual sin is the desecration of God's temple. That's why he has a white-hot hatred for it. So if someone tells you, but I know a lesbian couple who, is, who really loves the Lord, <clears throat> Your answer should be, well, if they really love the Lord, why don't they repent and follow his commandments? Jesus died for sinners. He died so he could give us the power to deny our lust and keep his commandments. Slide 10, please. Back to 1 Corinthians 5. St. Paul continues in his condemnation of sexual sin. I'm telling you, this is wrong. You must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. Bring it out in the open and deal with it in the authority of Jesus, our Master. Assemble the community. I'll be present in spirit with you. And our Master Jesus will be present in power. Hold this person's conduct 
up to public scrutiny. Let them defend it if they can, but if they can't, out with them. It will be totally devastating to them, of course, and embarrassing to you. But better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want them on their feet forgiven before the master on judgment day. Your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast is a small thing, but it works its way through the whole batch of bread pretty fast. So get rid of this yeast. Slide 11. I wrote you in my earlier letter that you shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing at all to do with outsiders of that sort. But you shouldn't have anything to do with crooks, white or blue collar, or with spiritual phonies for that matter. You'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I am saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine. When one of your Christian companions is promiscuous or crooked, is flipped or rude with God and friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory, you can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. I have good friends, both of whom are ordained ministers. They have an adult daughter in a gay marriage. Their daughter's partner got seriously ill last year and the daughter called her mother and said, Mom, will you please pray for Laura? She is very sick. You see, this is what happens when you're living in sin. You know you're sinning. And that sin keeps you from believing and trusting fully in the grace and kindness of Jesus Christ. You don't feel worthy to ask God for anything, even in a life-threatening emergency. There is no grace, there is no forgiveness without repentance. And if you want to deny that, if you want to double down and say, Gary, marriage is okay, then you just call God a liar. When you say evil is good and good is evil, you're in danger of eternal damnation. And you say, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of love. Indeed it is. But it's also the gospel of judgment. If you say, but Jesus loved prostitutes, tax collectors, and drunkards. Indeed he did. And we should do likewise. But Jesus did not condone their sins. He offered to forgive their sins if they repented. If they didn't, he loved them all the way to the gates of hell. We're all sinners. The only difference between believers and the lost is we believers are sinners saved by grace. We are saved by grace because we have repented and allowed Jesus to change our hearts. Jesus demands that we accept his commandments and that we change. 
You cannot continue in your sin and expect God to continue to forgive it. Paul said, should sin abound so that grace will all the more abound? God forbid. God forbid. If you continue in your sin, you put Jesus back up on the cross again and again and again. If you continue in your sin, that sin is not forgiven. It's not our job to judge, and it's certainly not our job to condemn. Jesus alone is judge and jury. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sin is sin. And repentance is the only way to deal with it. Whether your sin is sodomy or pornography, adultery, greed, lust, or lying, if you continue in that sin, you are lost and your eternity will be spent in hell. I don't care if you're an elder in the church or if you taught Sunday school for 30 years, if you have a secret sin in your life and refuse to give it to Jesus, you're lost. If you love Jesus, you will repent of your sin and allow him to remove that sin, that desire from your heart. There is no sin for which God gives a caveat. If you say, but I, I know people who were abused as children and that's why they're sexual deviants. And do you believe God will excuse them on that basis? Because they've been abused? Well, guess what? Abused and broken people are the very reason Jesus went to the cross. If you think the blood of Jesus poured on the cross cannot turn a homosexual from their sin, then go to YouTube and listen to the testimony of Beckett Cook. B-E-C-K-E-T Cook. Slide 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you know that those doing such things have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who live immoral lives, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, or homosexuals, will have no share in his kingdom. Neither will thieves or greedy people, drunkards, slanderers, or robbers. In other words, if you continue in your sin, you will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Now let's go back to the issue of the proposed constitutional amendments. If these amendments pass, the constitution of the CPC will be ratified. Personally, I'm very much in favor of these proposed amendments. In my opinion, they slam the door on the attempt of the liberal Cumberlands to usher in LGBTQ um, agenda. These amendments will give the LGBTQ agenda no credence whatsoever. I applaud this. These amendments are an attempt to keep the liberal wing of the church from ushering in gay bishops, gay pastors, and embracing gay elders in your denomination. I survived this uh, 
as a Lutheran. I was a Lutheran for 17 years. And I helped our church in North Dakota shed the apostasy of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Churches in America. We joined another Lutheran group that was very, very Bible-believing and refused to have any portion in that. The Lutherans, the Episcopals, <clears throat> and even some of our Presbyterian brothers have fallen prey to this heresy in the past decade and beyond. And this evil is not confined to the United States. We've seen the Anglican Global South leave the Church of England over this very issue. God has made his stance on this subject very clear. Slide 13, please. Isaiah 5, 20 through 24. Woe to those who say that what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right. King James says, what is evil is good, and what, good, what is good is evil. That black is white, and white is black. Bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. Woe to those who are wise and shrewd in their own eyes. They take bribes to pervert justice, letting the wicked go free and putting innocent men in jail. Therefore, God will deal with them and burn them. They will disappear like straw on fire. Their roots will rot and their flowers wither, for they have thrown away the laws of God and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. There's a perpetual threat by the liberal wing of the CPC to embrace the LGBTQ agenda and allow it into our fellowship and even our leadership. We have to take a stand. We have to take a stand or God will judge us for complicity. Tom has copies of a summary <clears throat> of these proposed amendments. If you'd like a copy, I'm sure he'll be happy to give you one. The George Estes letter is several copies on the back table there. You can review for yourself. Our session will meet this morning after church to discuss not only these amendments to but to plot a strategy for Desert Gardens to take a firm stand against this liberal agenda. If we truly love the sinner, we will not condone their sin. We will help them on their way to hell if we condone their sin. We will confront their sin and offer to walk beside them as they repent and seek the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Let us pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion, remind us that your blood, the blood you shed for us is sacred. You died so we could be free of our sin, not so we could hold close to it, not so that we could condone it and make excuses for it. 
Your blood is all-powerful. It heals every sin, every lust. So, Father, we ask that you minister to our hearts this morning. Minister our hearts, your love and grace. Minister your love and grace to us in ample proportions that we may go minister that love and grace to a lost world. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I found this meditation uh, before I knew what the pastor's sermon was going to be. Before I knew the pastor's sermon, this one this spoke to me when I when I came across it, and I sent it up to Ray and everybody else, and it it resonated with 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 Pastor Ray, and it resonated with me and and everything else, and I hope that you all find it as heart-centered as I did. The most common accusation made against Jesus of Nazareth was simply this. He partied hardy with all the wrong kind of people, particularly prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus, in his defense, replied with these parables. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he comes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, folks, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's from Luke 15. May I point out something often omitted when looking at these parables? The lost sheep, when returned to the fold, becomes just as valuable as the other sheep. It's not discounted because it had been lost. Similarly, your lost silver dollar doesn't magically become a quarter when you find it. 
in both instances, they are valued with all the others. We see this in communion. There are no second-class Christians taking communion this morning. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. We are clearly told that his body and his blood are for whomsoever will. So, as you partake this morning, pass judgment on no one except yourself. Judgment belongs to the Lord. Repentance is ours. Examine yourself carefully. Repent where needed. Then partake in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Our communion table is not a Presbyterian table. It's a table for all believers in Christ. When we serve communion, if you would come forward, I'll hold the bread. Kathy will hold the, the juice and take the bread and eat it and then hold the cup. And at the end, of, when everyone had been served, we'll partake of the cup together. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the Lord, risen Lord, until he comes. Please come join us. Oh, mm-hmm. 
As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God?